This is Corey Willis with PBI, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, I'm Clint Cannon from APS. This is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Cass from Diesel Doctor of Tennessee, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today. We're going to be talking about a recent announcement from the NHRDA and going through kind of the background story of it, what's taken place, and how it affects the diesel aftermarket, whether it's racing or not, and tons of different things that feed into where is diesel going? Where's the racing scene going? Where's the aftermarket parts for the guys towing and daily driving going to go? So we're going to jump into that, but before we do, wanted to thank two of our sponsors that help make episodes like this possible. First is BD Diesel Performance. Those guys had a tremendous showing at SEMA recently and released some new products. And make sure you check them out. Head on over to dieselperformance.com. There's a bunch of new turbo kits, uh, twin fueler kits, tons of different things. And you can browse by gear, make, model, all those sorts of things. Buy right on the site. If you have questions and need to talk to someone, they have a toll-free number you can call as well. And also Diesel Doctor of Tennessee. We've had Cass from Diesel Doctor on a number of times on the podcast to talk about six liters and seven threes and just building engines, what goes into them and ways to build them correctly. And so those guys, if you're needing a Cummins Duramax or Power Stroke engine, whether it's race or for a work truck, they've got them. They can build it for you and ship them anywhere in the United States. Just go to diesel911.com. You can purchase them right on the site, or if you have questions, which a lot of times with engines you will, you can give them a call and talk to those guys and, and make sure you get the engine set up that you need. All right, let's get to this, this podcast talking about diesel racing and, and what's going on in the industry right now. Rustin, it's great to have you back on the podcast from... Uh, our episode we did, uh, it was last year, which we talked about no more truck modifications and things that were going on in California and SEMA and just kind of across the country. And uh, we've got a new topic to talk about today. We're looking forward to uh, tackling the elephant in the room with you, so to speak. Well, hello, Diesel Nation and <laughs> everybody around the area. I, you know what? The the, the big elephant, uh, that would be the NHDRA. And, uh, you know, it's a bittersweet thing for me um, because, you know, those are those are two wonderful people that, uh, you know, I've grown to know. And everybody in diesel racing uh, community that I know, that it, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it, it is really heartbreaking, but... I understand the big picture of why it had to happen, and I think a lot of people don't understand that. Well, for our listeners out there that may not know or haven't heard, what 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 happened recently with? Well, with I think um, Randy Cole and his wife they um, well they had some large changes in the, their organization, NHDRA, uh, National Hot Rod Diesel Association, and that caused them to step back and reevaluate things. And, you know, they not only was it the loss of the manager of Randy's Off-Road, but JJ, you know, moving off to greener pastures and buying into another company, um, that changed the dynamics of how Ron sees his dream. And so now he's waiting for somebody to take over the National Hot Rod Diesel Association. Uh, the cool thing about the, that whole organization is that it sped up um, how we raced our trucks. You know, I mean, it, for the short amount of time, what was it, 15 years we've had them, we've gone from 
11 seconds to now 9 seconds to a couple of trucks that are, you know, running even faster or in the 8 seconds mark. Talk about phenomenal. I think, you know, when I I look at it is, and I think this, this impacts a lot of the, well, future diesel people as well, is I, up until my mid-20s, I didn't care about diesels at all. To me, they were fleet trucks. They were things that construction guys used that I'd see, you know, paving roads. Um, I never thought of them as something, one, of a culture, two, of something fun to drive, and three, something that could go fast. And I just happened to go to an NHRDA event, gosh, in 2007 or eight, and I saw these trucks going really quick. And it was just something that grabbed me, interested me, and then I took, and and I, and I think that was what impacted me the most was being able to see these trucks anywhere in the country, who are you impacting? Who are you now interesting, you know, making interested in diesel ownership, performance, being enthusiastic about it? Because that's what drives, one, any of the shows, two, any of the parts that are sold, and making it into a culture. So it, when, I, when I saw the press release and the, and the video, like it, it really hit home and I think hit to something larger in diesel, which we had talked about a little bit was it, it it seems like a large industry I think because we're so into them and we think of all the companies and the racers and all the things but really it's very small oh yes big time small and the market uh, shares there's a lot as far as trucks and diesel trucks I mean we can look at Ford they've built probably oh I'm just going to throw a figure out over 10 million diesel trucks out there you know it, you know, and I, I'm, it's probably exaggerated or a little bit conservative. I don't know because I don't have the figures in front of me with them. But there was a, a lot of money to be made with diesels, even with uh, <laughs> the state of California being able to dictate to other entities, including the federal government, uh, what should be done and not done with these trucks. So, but still, there's still plenty of money to be made and. There's probably other factors uh, that went with it. I mean, Randy mentioned in his video that low attendance rate was. Well, we could look at the big picture on a lot of that. Um, it could have been diesel TV, you know, being able to stream that on there. Or it could have been the lack of uh, marketing. Uh, and I deal with full disclosure, I deal in marketing. I deal with not just traditional marketing. My marketing is more or less on the back end, uh, manipulating Google for ethical reasons. You know, so I get a big bad rap because I use the word manipulation, but a lot of people say manipulation is a bad word. It's not. It's actually a good word if you apply it ethically. Right. <laughs> I think. I think uh, well, there's a couple different things going on. One is just like, wow, this this has happened. This is affecting something that's been around for so long that a lot of let's you know just be honest here, a lot of business owners use to build their businesses was right. taking their trucks out, making a name for themselves, and you know either directly marketing their business or starting a business based off of it, and that portion of it and then also too is how are the demographics changing you know like one time I asked a, a guy who's owned a diesel company for a really long time I said how did you build it and he said well we'd close up on Thursday afternoon me and a couple guys would take a drive to 
Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Tennessee, Missouri, and we'd go set up a booth and do a show. And we did that for 10 years. And they built it into a multi-million dollar corporation. Whereas now, I don't, I'm not convinced that works. I'm not convinced the younger generation necessarily wants to drive three states away or four states away to go talk to someone at a booth when you can watch it on TV, you can listen to it, you can go on social media and see things, you know, live feeds. And I think it's a, a, a bigger change that's happening in, in diesel, but it's already happened in other industries. It's kind of like we're 10 years behind or five years behind. It's happened in everything else, but now it's starting to impact well, it's diesel community. Like- it's, I don't think it's necessarily the, uh, the next generation not wanting to go to these places. It's a simple fact. If they're spending their hard-earned money, what are they getting out of it? That's mm-hmm. the question they're asking. Uh, the other thing is, is marketing has changed, you know, to where, uh, we have all these different things in front of us. And psychologically, if you think about it, once you've seen it and you kind of get it and experience of it, you no longer need it anymore. And there's a psychological um, uh, title for that. I just don't have it. Uh, you know, it's like my daughter. She watches YouTube and sees these, you know, toys and stuff on there. And then after she saw them play with it and stuff like that, she's no longer interested in it. So I've been kind of saving money. <laughs> but it's kind of amazing how that works out now. Uh, but simple fact is, is, there's lots of ways to getting your product out there. And then HDRA and all these events are good platforms to start getting your feet wet and try and get your brand recognized. There's no guarantees that you're going to uh, sell it. But when you get to the point where you start needing traffic to your website, the website is probably about the best way to sell product. Uh, if you're not sending traffic to your website, you're losing big time. You know, And then if you go cheap on your website – you're going to run into a wall after wall after wall. And then you got the shysters out there that are, you know, just cheating people out of money, giving them guarantees that don't work. Just like in the diesel industry, if you don't patent your product, you're going to have a blue anodized product just like yours being sold and out marketing you. And uh, the innovators get screwed every time, every time, because – they just want to build the good, best product and try and get it to the most honest people they can, but they don't know how to market or they don't see the value in marketing. Uh, you know, I didn't want to get into that part of it, but that just seems to happen. Uh, and, and as part of this whole industry, we have a lot of people that are split right down the center, just as much as this whole country is politically divided down right the center. And you get guys like me standing in the sidelines, sees the big picture, just says, you know what? You all just keep arguing. I'm going to stand over here and do something else. Yeah, it's um, it's it, it's kind of interesting how this you know what happened recently. So within the last couple of weeks, it's spawning this bigger conversation. And you know, off the record conversations or text messages or things that I, we've gotten is like there's anger out there in in diesel. There's anger with companies. There's anger with racing. There's anger with tons of different things and it's very split and it's very and I think it's a crucial time for where do we go with this it's I think it's been a long time coming you know I think technology and marketing's played a role in it I think and you know this really well living in, in California is emissions and regulations and things that just don't stay there they they tend to gravitate outwards 
they impact trucks now. <clears throat> they impact um, how fast you can go, what things cost. You know, like uh, tuning on an L5P is <laughs> no longer the old days of, hey, you buy this $600 Smarty or this $300 six position chip and your truck is a lot more fun to drive. Now you're in it for four plus grand. And it, it's changing really fast. And I think our goal in, in sitting down today and talking is what, um, you know, what can companies, what can enthusiasts, what can racers do to make sure this isn't, that this whole industry isn't just splintered off and doesn't go anywhere because we all want it to go somewhere. No matter if we like the company's parts or don't, or don't like this racer, or don't like this event or love it or whatever, it has to succeed or it, it's going to affect everything. So in the beginning, we started forming little rivalries but unfortunately, those rivalries got way too heated up, and that's what I think um, uh, Randy was thinking about. You know, I'm talking about when he said, "Let's get real here" uh, in his video, and um, we didn't have healthy rivalries. So, I'm, in a small way, I'm calling out all those bad actors out there. Uh, there was some good, and there was some bad. I mean, we've had some people complain about. Um, payouts you know these guys spent more money on these diesel platforms than you can a pro stock vehicle uh, to go the same speed I mean and I could be exaggerating there blowing smoke out my butt but that's because I'm just going off the cuff here forgive me folks but if you look at the NR chart the area pro stock is having their own issues as well but you, you have these people complaining about you know how much they cost. So next thing you know, they're out of the picture. They're no longer racing. But we had these companies that could not develop positive rivalry against each other. They just started pointing fingers and stealing each other's employees. Their quality goes crap. And next thing you know, they're buying thousands of parts in China. And it's just, you know, it's all about the money and what's in it for them. And all these different companies, whether the, if they're a California company, then, yeah, they're going to get nailed by their insurance companies. Why it's like that, I don't know why. But you can't have Gail Banks or Edelbrock or any of those companies try and support a series when you, your insurance companies and all that stuff will say, no, you do that, we'll drop you. Like a, it, it, There's a lot involved, a big, big deal. But I think the main deal I'm trying to get back to is the rivalries is what really killed it. Instead of making something positive out of it to where both sides could actually do some good, they decided to continue the backbiting and allowing their uh, social groups to just tear each other apart. That was a big deal, I think. And this is one of the reasons why forums started dying, you know, not only because the forums were becoming slumlords, they weren't putting money into it and promoting it. It's a simple fact. It just became a big, huge bash fest everywhere you look. There was no rhyme or reason for it really and it's very interesting you, you know you say that because we can you know i think you've probably been in diesel longer than i have but when you're really immersed in it and you're interested in it and if it is something that you work in you get to see different parts of it so you see the rivalries mm -hmm. and some of them are very healthy like one of them that i i think is really good is I think Firepunk and LeVon Miller and what they do and winning everything every year, I think is good because it forces every other person out there that wants to take a truck, say, to UCC. 
they have to get tired of getting beat eventually. Somebody's got to step up and do something and think outside the box and do something different with whatever they're doing. You're chasing them. And what happens with that is we see the power levels go up on trucks. We see things with transmissions take a huge jump. We see turbo stuff and tuning and all this stuff make a huge leap. But then when we get into other parts of diesel, we can see, you know, we hear this thing of everyone works together, everyone helps each other, everyone does all this. That's not true. And you, you touched on it with, with the rivalries, how they go. And you have to ask is, what does, does that really help bring new enthusiasts in? Is it really going to have or allow the next generation to start businesses, people to buy trucks, people to race them? Or is it just going to turn people off? To where you say, I'm just going to go back to a gas truck or car or whatever. I don't even care. I'm going to go and get another hobby. And it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I think, with, with how this works. I, I agree. Um, and, and a lot of them are figuring out that uh, gasoline is actually cheaper than diesel now. And it's cheaper to build a, uh, a nine-second vehicle than it is to do a diesel nine-second vehicle. But there goes the reason for the hobby. Uh, when people start looking at the dollars and signs again. In, in, mm-hmm. in the old days, like from 2008 on to about 2011, you know, and I'm thinking 2012, 2013 was about the peak for everything too. Uh, people didn't care. They went and did it, you know. I remember when uh, Chris Warner won the, uh, well, it was called, um, it wasn't called UCC then. It was called uh, the Diesel Challenge. That was a big deal. You were able to come in with a, low budget truck build a thousand horsepower out of it and win the whole thing to whereas nobody else was doing it and that was a big deal back then when we reached a thousand horsepower i thought that was phenomenal we finally reached a thousand horsepower now it's like two thousand three thousand we could do it <laughs> no problem all day long the the rivalry that i liked and that was when cole dow who came from the racing area and he went up against Dimitri Millard uh, on one of the power challenges. And that kid, or excuse me, that man, took it to a different level. And he got a lot of respect from both sides of the fence because he built a pole truck and a drag racing truck and proved the question that everybody has. Will a pole engine be able to work as a drag engine? And he did the changes to the rear end as quickly as possible and the front end as possible, made it all happen. I remember when he came here to um, Redding and raced and did a pull and pulled it apart and turned it into a pull truck and qualified well. He, the truck went nine seconds on our track, and they both got him and uh, I think it was uh, Harvey Grant that uh, he was driving the Bram Charger, and they both did nine seconds and slowed down, slow it down or get off our track. <laughs> and that was that was pretty cool, watching that happen. But minute people started seeing the money coming and the money going and uh, the racers showing up and bringing in numbers. And be honest, honest with you, there really wasn't a whole lot of attendance numbers. It was mostly people in the sportsman's class that was really bringing it in. Uh, doing the races and the sled pulls because they wanted to try it out. They wanted to get their feet wet, and they wanted to get bit by the bug and then go faster and faster and faster. And to answer your question with um, uh, Firepunk, or not, is it Firepunk? Yeah. So mm-hmm. those guys, by all means, it's good to have a legacy. And then sometimes with legacy, you're going to get people who are going to whine. But 
it should inspire people to want to have something to beat. And he keeps raising the bar and raising the bar to continue to stay in that high level. Mm-hmm. I, I just wish he could market like the rest of them because there's no reason why he couldn't be making at least $2 million a month in marketing and selling his products what he does. I mean, his name as well, but, you know, everybody has their um, their priorities that they have to take care of. You know, I, there's lots of things that, that could that ingredients to make things work the way they do, but it has to be a mindset they're willing to get themselves to. And his mindset is he's a competitor. And as a competitor, he has to keep going up and up. The rest of them, they have to strive to beat him. They have to outsmart him. They have to do exactly what you said. Think outside the box. Because number two, you'll be recognized, but not as recognized as Firepunk is going to be for the, from here on out. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happens. You know, NHDRA is according to uh, Randy, is not necessarily dead. It'll only die when no one picks it up. And what I mean by picking it up, I don't know what that means. Randy was kind of vague in that, but I'm going to say this. You know, the equipment, the trucks, the software, um, everything about that, there, there's a price to it. And if I, I've got the energy and I've got the time, I would love to step up to the plate, but there's no way I have the money to be able to put into a lot of that stuff, you know, you keep the upkeep and then be able to make all the places. Uh, Randy put in a lot of the company, his company, own personal company's money into that, you know, along with other companies that, you know, stayed with him till the end. Uh, look at, you know, MBRP, they were a sponsor. BD Diesel was a sponsor, a major sponsor, actually, Um who knows? There's ATS was a sponsor. Uh, you help me out here. I'm sure you know a couple others that were that were sponsors too. Oh yeah. It was, yeah. It's just the simple fact that you know there was a lot of blood and sweat put into it, and sometimes the marketing, trying to get it out to the newspapers and the TV ads, traditional marketing I call it, uh, that soaked up a lot of the funds. So there wasn't a whole lot of um, uh, uh, prize uh, guarantees. And uh, but they they did meet payouts. Sometimes it came out of their own pockets to meet the payouts, and then you had the contingencies uh, that a lot of racers didn't know existed. Uh, they found out later when they got a check in the mail. I was like, oh wow, I got money from X and X for winning the sportsman class. Yeah, that's important. Um, uh, there's so many different factors. It's, it's hard to really get into it. But yeah, but just like you and a lot of people, I'm not necessarily angry. I'm more or less heartbroken. Uh, but I, in a small way, I kind of knew that this was going to come. I didn't think it was going to be exactly how it went down like this. I thought it was going to be a shutdown from a government entity, in my opinion. Uh, I thought for sure that uh, the EPA and CARB was going to kill off everything left of, of racing. You know, and it's only going to be a certain class of vehicles. Like, look at uh, uh, Formula One or IMSA or, or I can't remember those ones. They're going to hybrid technology. So it's a half V6 and a half electric vehicle, you know. And then Prop 100 basically nailed the head on the coffin. They're, they just killed the internal combustion engine by 2045. So they hit it within the Clean Air Act. Uh, California got uh, 
made fun of over the years for importing 60% of their utilities from other sources outside of their state. And as California would tout that they're a green state, that they don't use any bad stuff, but yet they're importing 60% of it from other areas. So Prop 100 came, and Governor Brown, who's on the exit, uh, decided, okay, I'm going to clear my desk. This is going to pass. And that signed the death warrant to the internal combustion engines being gone by 2045. 2045, I'm going to be in my mid-60s. And by then, I'm not going to care. It's going to be the younger generation's problem. And that's an unfortunate deal because, you know, I helped a lot of different things throughout the years. We we were – I helped send out the information when we found out that uh, somebody in CARB had a fake um, graduate certificate. He was not a doctor and whatever field it is in his studies that was trying to prove that diesels was more dangerous than uh than smoking. You know, it's it boggles my mind that the stuff that our government is able to get away with and now it's getting even more ridiculous. The big cities are saying we have more say than the rest of the state. We know it's good for for their whole state. So guess what? This is gonna pass and go through and now we've got companies going to e-commerce websites out of other states and saying, hey, we want to look at your records and find out who you've been selling um, products that delete the emission systems, you know. And why doesn't one state have more power than all the other states? And I live in this state, you know. So I want everybody to know not everybody in the state of California is socialists. I'm here fighting with every bit that I have left, but I'm running out of fight. I got people leaving and moving out. Most of them are the liberals, but we get more liberal people in there. And I don't mean to downgrade liberals. I mean, there are some people that are liberals, and they race like crazy. They don't want to see the sport to go either. Um, but, you know, when I you get stuff saying, well, California should go away, and <laughs> I'm like going, I'm still living here, people, and this is the type of split that, that we have in this society. We're lumping everything up. We, we know that there's bad actors everywhere, even the diesel community. Look at the fights that we had with the uh, guys that were riding with their trucks and smoking up the joint, you know, creating the problems, of, a lot of the problems that we have with the EPA and the CARB, you know, simply because we have people in power. They got blasted by the smoke, and which was really, you know, them thumbing their nose at these people, but was that really called for? No. You just pretty much put another nail in the coffin for the industry by being irresponsible and allowing your emotions to run with you. So, yeah, it, it, I can, I can see the anger. I can see the big picture, but it comes back to us. Whose fault is it really? It, it's the entire industry's fault. If we were to, you know, the listeners out there, you know, they're tuning in, <clears throat> they're, they're listening to this, and there was two, well, actually kind of three, I think, opinions I got. I didn't even, I didn't see it. I didn't even know what went on. I, I was just, you know, not, not paying attention to social media or anything. And I got one text message from a shop owner and he was livid. He was pissed off because he has been a supporter and he's been racing in NHRDA events. And I think it was out of like pr- probably sadness and frustration with a lot of things that have been happening. And then I got a text message from another shop owner. It's like, I don't care. Like, it's not going to affect my business, my work. It, it doesn't matter who races. Why should people care? 
why should an enthusiast, a shop owner, a company really care about if there's going to be these series of events going on or not? If it affects their business, like, like, like some people, they treat the SEMA show as their Super Bowl or PRI as their Super Bowl. That's the only place that they're going to make the money that they need. And they've got that locked down. Some guys, it's showing up with a booth and racing their truck at, uh, at the NHGRA in order to pr- promote what they're doing at their shop and get more people in their shop. Now we've got economies getting good. People are starting to race a little bit more. Um, so they should care about those organizations. But when they go, that sends a ripple because now we've lost a way of getting more competitors in. Uh, and then we've lost a way to uh, innovate more to more speed because now we don't have, you know, a way for us to go to different states and race each other because normally we wouldn't. I mean, who's going to travel from, you know, Texas to Idaho for a race or Oregon for a race for that matter um, or go to the East Coast and race each other? That that doesn't necessarily happen. That's where rivalry is actually pretty good. We, I remember I missed the comp diesel days and when the guys would say, well, you come out to our area and we'll start racing each other and we'll see who's talking trash, you know. that was Those days were fun. And it also created a lot of problems, too, because, you know, once again, they didn't um, foster in good uh, rivalry uh, because it just became a big bash fest after a while. But there was some bad actors that caused that, you know, companies that were building bad comp- product, you know, in order to get their name out there. Uh, but as far as them to really get their name out, these organizations are important to them. If they don't, if they just want to be a general uh diesel repair shop, well, that's easy to market, you know, to the local area. But if you're trying to really do something, you're trying to get a tapped into a market that uh, uh, requires a little bit more cost and a little bit more control for you to make a profit, then sometimes going out and racing and building something as wild really shows people that you are paying attention to detail and you care about the smaller things. And you build a vehicle that's going to last, whether, you know, goes down the track and you're going to stand behind how you re- repaired it after it breaks. There's lots of factors in why these organizations are good. And then when we have an issue with uh, tuning software and the right to repair and all that great stuff, these organizations are important for lobbying. Unfortunately, we're, according to, you know, Trump being elected, we're no more lobbyists, so... I got a bone to pick with SEMA, SAN, and quite a few other lobbyist groups that were supposed to help the industry out. Unfortunately, they have not been able to fight in California. They've been fighting everywhere else in the country because it was an easier battle. And when you're unable to get an organization to fight against the one place that's causing all the problems, you have a failure and a breakdown. And then here we are about that. I think think with this whole topic, it's like that – I don't have any answers, you know, it's just like, I sit back and I think, okay, if it, if this can affect something that's been around for a long time, that a lot of people have been drawn into wanting to own a diesel and buy parts for them and do things to them, and companies have built their reputations and their bottom lines and profits off of, what's next? You know, what other entity, what other thing is going to, this isn't just going to be the only thing. That's not how it works. There's going to be something else. And it's, I, I guess it's, you know, our conversation is more of 
you know, if we want to sit back in our office and think that everything's okay and nothing's, you know, it's just going to keep going and, and, and nothing bad's going to happen. It, it's not, it has to be very proactive and it, it, it does touch on a lot of things like racing, marketing, um, you know, politics, the missions, all that sort of stuff. But I guess I feel like there isn't a game plan. I don't feel like in this industry there is a game plan. I think it's, I think it's very splintered and it's very, it's about one or the other. And something has to change with it because is it going to be around in 10 years? It's going to be around in 20. You know, would my kids be able to enjoy it and go watch an event or do something? I don't know. And I think that's, you know. That's exactly what it is. I don't think anybody knows. So we're we're building on on the whole fear of it. You know, greed is a major part of it. And greed is good in some ways, you know, for the right reasons. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. There's nothing wrong with trying to squeeze out every dime you can, you know. And I remember the days of uh, when we complained about uh, map pricing. And finally the manufacturer says, okay, we need to install map pricing because everybody's whoring out our product and cheapening it, and nobody's able to make money. So that was a good thing. Um, but and that was a side note. I shouldn't have even gone into that. But anyways, it, it's still the greed is what killed everything because they know we have a short amount of time with these with these power plants before it's all going to get shut down, and nobody seems to have the resources or the funds to actually shake their fist at the government. So now the environmentalists, which have been able to get huge sums of money and been able to win, and they have a valid point, but once again, it's all about greed and how much money they can get. And now these government entities like CARB have been able to find companies and get make money uh, doing it, and that's all part of it. It's their, their agenda. So when we go from a carbon footprint to electrical cars, now we've got two footprints to think about. We've got a toxic footprint with these batteries. So the environmentalists are not going to be happy. But once we've gone fully into that, then they'll probably start arguing about that. And now because we have, you know, magnets, electric motors, uh, cellular Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, everything that has to do with electronics is going to emit a frequency. So now we're going to start talking about frequency pollution. So nobody's going to be happy about that. You know, and that's going to be a big deal. And so a lot of these companies are like, well, I got to pay the lights. I got to pay the p- people that work for me. You know, and, but here's the thing. You're running out of vehicles to be able to tune for. I think I had a conversation with, uh, one of the companies, Jet was one of them, and they didn't see a value into doing half the stuff that they're doing anymore be simply because it's, it's futile for them. It's not even worth it for them to go into the underground and have tuning software available for a lot of things. And I'm finding out that the 1500, certain companies will not do uh, tuning for the Ram 1500 because it's not designated as a farm vehicle. Well, newsflash, John Deere won their case for the do-it-yourself mechanic. That has to do with software coming from other countries. They said foul to all the farmers here. We don't want you having that software, even though it's available over in those places. So you can't work on your tractor and be able to fix trouble codes. And GM, Apple, all these large entities jumped in and <laughs> and basically, you know, helped them with their legal teams 
because they know what's in stake for the right to repair. So the whole thing is changing. You know, granted, we have some idiot people that probably shouldn't work on uh, vehicles, you know, and if they get hurt, they're probably going to sue the company and all the people involved, the wrench, the who knows what. It's just we're a country of laws, and a lot of laws and questions haven't been answered where the liability goes. And then when you finally get down to it, you don't actually own the vehicle or the laptop you have. You're only agreeing to it, and so it becomes a lease option. It, it's, it, there's a lot of changes, and it, we can go on to the depressing side of this. But on a positive side, there's still plenty of loopholes. There's still plenty of fight if you guys just choose the right direction and get together in one accord and do the fight and do the fight well. If you're trying to market your business, there is a, a formula. I, you know, I'm practicing it with it with a couple of my clients there. There's a formula that works. The online community is totally ripe still for the picking. You, you cannot get beat by the bigger companies because they're not marketing right. They're just getting out enough traffic they can. We already know about Google and all the other problems. So there is still money to be made. The simple fact is we've had too much um, unethical greed into the picture, and we didn't rein, rein that in like we should have. It's quite a, quite a conundrum. Yeah, <laughs> that it, that it's in, but it was really it was cool to to chat with you and kind of vent and bounce ideas off and even complain a little bit because it I think when something strikes something that's been around for so long it makes you question and say what direction are we going what are we doing who's doing what who isn't doing anything is where's this going to be in ten years what are we going to do um, how do we keep people interested. Well, I wouldn't say the enthusiasts interested. They're always interested, but new people. How do we get them interested in diesel? How do we get them interested in owning one and maybe buying a part for one? Well, that's that's simple right there. You, you, we continue hammering on the fact and educating these people, uh, the the efficiencies in diesel and the disefficiencies with all the other programs that are out there. Uh, if we keep hammering on those and educating them positively, the reasons for diesel, that will cause the change. But as far as I know, with Germany killing their internal combustion engine program and China killing their internal combustion engine program and California doing it and basically forcing the big three to – well, the big three didn't get forced. They pretty much said last year, uh, which you can find on YouTube, them saying, yes, we will help the country go to this direction. And, uh, you know, here we are. Ford's now only selling trucks because trucks don't have to be part of the cafe standards or any other stuff. And so they're just going to sell the Mustang and the uh, Fiesta. Uh, changes all over the area. I think we're going to see a lot of different changes. But it, it all comes down to education, how we're going to get the word out to them. Because the millennials are not stupid. Uh, they're going to fact check you every sense of the way. The minute you say something and it doesn't check out what they're searching for on that information, they're already labeled you as someone that's not truthful, and they're going to move on. And I don't mean to say this about millennials in general. I mean, this is, there's a whole other generation come out of it. So we're raising a minority of children uh, within the sport that have grown up with it, and those things are changing, you know. I mean... Once again, it just goes to educating. How we're going to educate the people and get the word out there. If they think that the word is already maxed out. Well, they haven't really figured it all out. There's more to it than that. 
uh, I don't know what else to say it, but I, I want to say to everyone else, don't be depressed about this. We need to figure out how to make this into an opportunity uh, and then be able to figure out opportunities to be able to suppress what California is doing until the technologies are available uh, to make things faster, better, stronger, less hurtful to the environment instead of just waiting until we get to the next thing and then figuring out, oh, this is going to be a problem. we got batteries exploding all over the place and causing fires, people getting hurt. Uh, you know, it's just the, the, granted, Tesla's probably put a lot of thought into those vehicles, but they're not building a pickup truck. They said they were going to, but who's going to want a pickup truck that goes less than 200 miles? <laughs> <laughs> An electric truck. It'll only work in com- countries like Hawaii or in, within the city. That's the only thing that le- electric vehicles will work on is on the short distance. But on the long distance, no one wants to wait an hour to charge every time or maybe now a half an hour uh, when you can pump your fuel in less than 15 minutes, but who knows? I mean, fuel prices are going to go up shortly, and all these mechanic shops are going to be switching from repowering diesel engines and gasoline engines to changing uh, electric motors and stuff like that. So the industry is still always going to be here. It's just going to change. There's a lot of things they're not going to be able to automate. They're not going to be able to automate uh, mechanics. They might be able to automate the drivers, but they're not going to be able to automate the people that need to work on these vehicles. It's a change in time. Well, it'll be it'll be cool to uh, probably well as fast as things are moving, probably see what's happened in the next six months and where things are going. But I hope uh, you know these these racing events, which I, I I firmly believe fuel not necessarily other people racing, but they fuel an interest in it, and it's what pulls people in from the outside that that um you know they can figure out a way to do it <clears throat> to have people and and racers and events that people want to see that think wow that's really cool i think i want to go i want to go purchase a truck you know well let's think of the whole timeline of it okay so in the old days man these guys were already doing software tunes on some of these vehicles they were changing the exhaust characteristics they were changing the timing characteristics okay and they were changing the fuel pressures. And as technology got better, then those techniques, they still stayed true, but a lot of things changed. And then they had to deal with sensors and all kinds of stuff when computers really started taking over. And it really started getting fun, and we were starting to get really fast. We started having to have cages and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, and then as we continue to progress with these engines and stuff, <coughs> we were able to use straight fuel and get into the nine-second range on straight fuel, whereas all the other vehicles, they had to use other octanes to get to it, you know. And then we started adding nitrous oxide and to get more speed out of it. Then we started adding more boost. Now we started changing the characteristics of the fuel. Uh, some people were starting to use jet fuel, which is a more refined diesel, uh, it just doesn't allow water to uh, really be part of the whole equation anymore. That's the reason why it's up there. Is water is it's meant to – I don't have the scientific stuff. My brain's out there on this other stuff. But it, I'm having enjoyment just talking about the uh, changes. So we were using jet fuel, and we were mixing other things with it. Some people were actually using um, isopropyl alcohol in the mixture of the diesel and uh, causing it to burn a little hotter. And uh, there was a lot of 
everybody had their own concoction they were coming up with, I think, in fuel uh, to the point where it's no longer diesel fuel, but it still had the same characters. Even Gail Banks, he was using diesel fuel as a spark uh, and using propane fuel as the means of making it go faster. And that's the reason why he was able to get the fuel economy gains, you know. But once again, we were measuring on diesel what he used, not the full gamut of uh, stuff that he was using. There's there's so much stuff that we've came up with, and we haven't even tapped into it. Uh, you know, I'm sure there is a whole lot more that can be done with these engines. And uh, so, once again, it's just finding the opportunities, and then we all need to start being loud like the environmentalists. Uh, you know, we're, we're too busy being humble and uh, when really we should be fighting for our livelihoods. But as I said earlier, even if you don't, there's always going to be a need in the industry. Matter of fact, we're in a deficit. People are having a hard time trying to find people to work for their shops. They're willing to work. Uh, the, the That's another topic to talk about, you know, how many people we have to work on these trucks and and when things change, are they still going to be around? You know, it's, there's a lot, a lot of opportunities to start thinking about. That's very true. Yeah, we'll have to sit down again, let some, uh, some more things happen and take place and, and uh, see how things are changing. But I appreciate uh, your insights and, and chatting about this topic that's it's still so recent and new that we're all, I think, trying to just get our heads wrapped around it and figure out what to do next and, and, and what's going to happen. But, uh, yeah, it was a very, very interesting conversation we had today. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and thanks again for having me, uh, even though I'm not a, a, a major uh, sponsor or, uh, you know, or a person that races, but, you know, a person that does the marketing and uh, someone that sits on the sidelines and, you know, has really watched the sport. I've actually raced my Mercedes in the sport. I did, like, what, 1610 at the last uh, NHDRA here in Sacramento, so... Thanks again for having me on. Uh, and uh, Diesel Nation, you all hang strong, okay? <laughs> It'll get better. I guarantee it. <laughs> right on. Well, like I said, appreciate it. We'll, we'll sit back down here next year sometime, and hopefully we'll have a, a better conversation. <laughs> than we did no doubt. <laughs> all right. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and check out BD Diesel Performance at dieselperformance.com. Bunch of new products they have for your Cummins Duramax Power Stroke, transmissions, turbo kits, tons of different things. And also Diesel Doctor of Tennessee. If you need a rebuild engine, whether it's for daily driving and work or it's a race setup, they can do it. Go to diesel911.com, check out what they got. Till next time, keep the shiny side up.